following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. And that was the Warumpi Band with From the Bush. And we're going to be talking to a gentleman who is in the bush this morning. Scotty, who have we got uh, calling in on our show this morning? Well, this week we're going to be taking a break from the, uh, the federal election candidate series we've been doing. And uh, we're going to check out a few of the core issues which face this nation and our guest today, uh, Cody McAvoy, is in the thick of a number of those issues. Cody McAvoy is a Wangan Jangalingu man joining us live via phone from the Watanangu camp in central Queensland. Um, so the frontiers of the climate crisis and First Nations dispossession are being pushed beyond their limits by the centuries-old coalition of party political government and big business once again. The Adani Bravis mega coal mine at Carmichael is just the first of many planned for the Galilee Basin, laying down the infrastructure which can only lead to more intense climate chaos, expanding an industry with no credible future. Uh, Cody, are you there? Yes, what a molly, how are you going? Good, good, yeah, great. Uh, well, um, maybe we'll start by uh, just uh, just exploring where you are there. Uh, what, what's the country like where you're sitting at the moment? Yeah, so where I am exactly is um, we're about uh, three hours' drive from the closest town, which is Claremont. And um, r- originally there's no reception out here, but I'm, I've got a 15-metre telescopic pole that I'm boosting off a tower that's about 100 kilometres away. <laughs> um, so it's a bit of technology, you know, mixed with, with the old. Um, so we're, we're sitting on um, what's um, called mining lease. Um, we've been mining lease uh, in and 14 when the whole claim group got together and told Adani, no, we don't, we don't want your agreement. So um, we've maintained no this whole time, um, and so where I'm located right now is directly um, across the road from their mine pit, the coal mine, the Carmichael coal mine pit, and uh, I've been here now for 233 days today. So I've spent every night on country here, I've slept here every night, and um, I'm enjoying it and I'm loving it. It's it's such a great remote location. Um, you know, it gives us um, plenty of access to go out into the bush and some time in, um, in bushlands there. A lot of it hasn't been touched. Put it on Moray Downs, and it's about 320 to 340,000 acres. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a very, very big property. I'll just get and, you to uh, wander yeah. around a bit and try to find a, a better bit of reception. You're breaking up a little bit there. Oh, sorry. How, how's that going? We'll find out, eh? <laughs> and just to give our yeah. listeners a heads up, you know, Cody's got this fabulous system, Joe, rigged up there. So we may have a few um, glitches throughout the show. So bear with us. Yep. It'll be worthwhile, definitely. Sorry, yeah. mate. You were describing where you are. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, we have a lot of different bird species here on this one um, area where we are. Um, I'm basically cutting off Adani halfway of his uh, mining lease. So the road that travels through is basically 
cuts the mining lease in half. So I'm on the northern side of the mining lease. And um, on this one area, there's over 100 bird species just in this one area. We have uh, a Gigi forest here that um, is, it's an old, old Gigi forest. There's really old growth um, Gigi trees in there, which are probably, you know, 600 years old plus. Um, you know, the, the biodiversity that is here is just amazing. Um, you, you can almost, you know, spot, almost spot a new animal um, every time that we're out here. We have um, dingoes out here that look pretty pure. Um, there's no other no other dogs that they could breed with out here, so you know the chances of them being um, pretty pure is a is a high factor. Um, it, we've just come off the summertime, so it's been a scorcher out here. We've, it's gotten up to like you know 46 degrees. Um, so I'm glad that the you know um, autumn has has come finally, starting to cool down a little bit more, and you know, we're just living living our life. We're just um, practicing the ceremony. Wadanungu, wada means talk, and wadana means talking, and then the ungu on the end uh, makes it the talking. So it incorporates anything from talking to um, people in our own tribe to people uh, from tribes far and wide to government officials to... Uh, any other people that want to come here. This Wadanungu is open to everybody to come and learn about the uh, UNJ culture and also learn how, you know, we've put the, the government and Dani into a predicament that money can't solve. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's a fight that nobody's ever gone down this route before, so everything that we do is a precedence. And, I mean, 233 days here on a mining lease and the Queensland Police have no intention of removing us anytime soon. Um, we had to go through the trenches to be able to get to where we are now through um, multiple confrontations with the, with the police over the years. And we filed a human rights complaint against the Queensland Police in September 2020. And then in uh, April, I think it was, uh, March or April 2021, we had a mediation with the Queensland Police and the Human Rights Commission and found that the Queensland Police had breached five of our human rights, removing us from the pastoral lease in 2020. So this, this letter of regret that they gave us is uh, a recognition of us and our people um, recognising that we are Wangana Jagalingu people and that we are aggrieved by Adani's occupation of our tribal lands. So this put the Queensland police into a bit of a pickle and it put the Queensland government into a bit of a pickle because now that they've recognised us, they can't unrecognize us. So mm. they've recognised us through their own court systems that we are the remaining language and cultural holders. So we are gifted the right and the human right to protect our culture and to continue on with our culture in the way that we see fit. Yeah, so uh, what, what's the history of this struggle against Adani? Okay, so um, Adani first approached us in 2012 and it was that. The, it was a shonky deal. And so 
Um, the agreement was knocked back, and then they tried it again in 2014 in Rockhampton. That's when the whole claim group was there. There was over 500-something members there at the time. And everyone voted unanimously to not go to the Ilya. And everybody voted to not go back to any agreements with Adani. So then what happened was Adani employed one um, one of one of our applicants in our in our group and um, offered another applicant all the cultural heritage work and then offered another applicant all the contracts for uh, um, bus driving and things like that so they they cornered they cornered um, a, a certain amount of applicants to be able to gain a majority vote and so they had a meeting in 2016 in Maribara and um, I was not allowed to attend this meeting. I was overseas at the time. My former partner is uh, from Bosnia, so I was living in Bosnia for a few months. And um, I needed to come back for the authorization meeting, but it, um, the service, service provider said that Adani doesn't pay for international travel, which my ticket would have been cheaper than a, a return flight from uh, Darwin. So um, my, my father wasn't was not allowed to go to that meeting. The security, even though he boycotted the meeting, the security that were at that meeting were given strict instructions to not let him in. So it was a, it was a fraudulent meeting. And the meeting, uh, the, the Indigenous Land Use Agreement that is signed, that Adani has, is signed by people that no longer come from our country because the anthropologist, anthropologist found that they have no connection to, to Rangana Jagalingu country. So... What we're dealing with here is um, a fraudulent um, Indigenous land use agreement signed by people that aren't, aren't formerly the people from this area. So it's like my um, neighbour signing my, la- my house away for me. Um, so this is the, the indiscrepancies that's happening all through this whole system for the last 10 years of being railroaded by the the government, my dad was supposed to win in the in the courts and um, through a a precedent that happened in Western Australia with the Noongar people called the Glade decision. And so what happened was in the Native Title Act it, it states that um, you're supposed to have consensus, not a majority vote. So they won their their Supreme Court case on that. Um, that it needed to be a consensus. So Malcolm Turnbull jumped on a plane to India and went to the Dani, and it's in, it's in the Guardian paper. You can, um, you can see that article where uh, Malcolm Turnbull says to Adani, don't worry, I'll fix the native title system for you. Um, they, they literally ruined the life of hundreds of thousands of Aboriginal people in this country to to Atani. So we've been fighting against land use agreement. Now you're still uh, breaking up, Cody. We'll have to just get you to move around a little more or maybe stand on yep. top of the ute with one leg in the air and waving yeah. around a bit. <laughs> it's really um, intermittent here, the, the reception, so I guess some is better than none. So I want to get to um, Malcolm Turnbull. Yes. Malcolm Turnbull he went to the parliament. My dad was supposed to win in federal court, 
And so George Brandis actually stepped in just before the court case and got Justice Reeves to um, adjourn the court case until after the parliamentary sitting. Because my dad was supposed to win in the court, they went to Parliament and changed the Native Title Act from consensus to majority. So he went back to court, and the case was thrown out because there was no... um, that, that law had been changed. So this is the problem that we've been dealing with for the past 10 years is wherever we try and make a break, the government just comes and just fills that hole in because um, it's bigger than just one mine. It's, it's the whole Galilee Basin that, that they want and they won't anything to get it. And so we've put back this whole time through, you know, social media, through um, getting our getting our message out. Yeah. Um, stories and stuff like that. But, um, you know, mainstream media doesn't cover anything that we do. It's one of those things that they're trying to avoid, partly because the mainstream media um, get donations from the Minerals Council and mining Whatever you've done there is good. That's great. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So it's it's a hard road when you're trying to um, go up against a media that's funded by mining. And so we've just just powered on. Um, My dad went through five federal court cases to try and stop them. Um, we got railroaded nearly every time. Um, the Attorney General stepped in twice into our court cases. So we went from fighting in the courts to fighting on the ground. So in 2019, I went and annexed a bit of property back, um, probably about eight kilometres back from Watanungu. Um, it was earmarked for a machinery laydown area. And I got in there and did probably that, um, and I I waited it out two weeks there by being blockaded in by Adani's duty, and they essentially tried to starve me out of food and water, and so I left from there, and then I came back a year later, and built a big fire right in the middle of the road and stopped all Adani workers from using that road. The road wasn't technically blocked because there was a side gate that um, the public and the police and the farmers could use. It was just wasn't open for Adani's workers or uh, contractors or subsidiaries. So they all had to use a, the rail corridor to get back to the camp, which was an extra 20 minutes on a good day. So um, that went on for a week, for uh, about five days, and then 50 police officers turned up to remove us after on the fifth day, and the good thing is nobody got arrested, um, and we made our point, and I, I put out a bit of a rap video, and that went a little bit viral around <laughs> the country, and um, so it was, all in all, it was um, a, a, a great turnout, and so the police removed me from the pastoral lease um, on that day, and was against the law, because we have every right to go on to a pastoral lease 
um, because this, the misconception that this mining company has um, and many, many other people in this country is that they think they own their property if it's a mine, if it's a pastoral lease. But a pastoral lease is a, just a lease. It's like a, a video easy DVD. Doesn't matter if it's been for 50 years, it's still video easy DVD. And these are the things that um, people don't get told when, when they acquire these properties. So we set up a camp um, at the area called the Footprint. It looks like a big footprint um, from the Google Maps. And so my dad went to Brisbane, put in a human rights complaint, and then we had a, um, a mediation in May last year, uh, March, March last year. And so I decided to use that, um, that human rights um, breach and really test the police in, um, in saying, well, okay, now that you know that I have the right, I'm going to bring 120 people down on bikes down to the, to the area where you kicked me off just to prove to you that I can take whoever I want in, into the footprint and you can't stop me. So it was just a, a flexing exercise, basically, which turned into a fun, great event that everybody enjoyed for the Tour de Carmichael. They got to experience a lot of um, different stories. And we're basically on the tour, just basically, um, I'm describing my country to, um, to everybody that comes. And when I'm describing my country, I'm, I'm telling people these stories are the reason why I'm from this area. It's kind of like somebody that invites somebody over to their house and they go out into their backyard and they show them all the, all the cool little ornament things that they have in their backyard and the stories behind <laughs> them and everything. It's pretty much similar, except the stories that we have are since time immemorial. So... Um, it's basically about just you know asserting our rights, asserting our rights as we are the people from this from this area, and you can't silence us. So the, uh, the Queensland government has been out for us for the last you know eight years at least to try and destabilise our native title claim. Um, our native title got thrown out in um, the twenty twenty fourth of December last year on Boxing Day and it's like um, very very convenient for them I think uh, I don't know how they were able to make a decision on Boxing Day but it was like it was kind of like a, a slap in the face Christmas present here you go no native title so what we're doing is navigate outside of native title we're probably one of the only couple of groups that actually navigate outside of native title um, and we use human rights to to assert our um, our rights to practice culture and to um, eat and drink from 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 country. Yeah, well, there's a saying that there's the environmental regulations are only really there to regulate the environmentalists. So I wonder if native title isn't a similar sort of thing. I oh, definitely, definitely. You know, native title was designed. For mining companies, it was never ever designed for Aboriginal people. It was designed to run Aboriginal people around in a circle and break groups up. So then, mining companies 
come in and take the resources without having to sign any illulas. Um, this process happens all over the country. All over the country it happens, and Native Model is only around because seven Aboriginal agreed to sign off. Um, and now every tribe has to suffer for it, and they try to push us down in through this avenue and saying, no, you can only go through native title. Well, we're saying, no, we don't recognize your native title. I don't want you to Jagalungu and other here on, on country. Mm-hmm. So, the things that look, I mean, it was just people around the country are stuck into native title system that they can't get out of. So, you know, we're just here to try and, you know, motivate the other tribes, um, you know, guys that you don't need native title construct a system that Yeah, Cody, you're, you're breaking up again, mate. Um, yeah. <laughs> Is it maybe the way the wind blows or something? It could be, yeah. 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 we going? Nah, no good yet. Well, that's a little bit better. How are we going now? That's a bit better. What do you reckon there, Scott? Oh, we'll give it a shot, eh? See how we go. So do you have any political support at all, Cody? Is there any decent politicians who are um, supporting what you're doing at all? Um, No, we've got... Any of the politicians that have been supportive of us has only really come from, like, there hasn't been any... Any Labor or, you know, Labor or, or, I mean, of course, Liberals probably not going to support something like But um, it's it's just, it's frustrating to see that, you know, Labor won't even this subject. Where, you know, Liberal Party, the Liberals like Matt Canavan and George Christensen, they've just been rolling us and rolling the environmental um, sector out here in central Queensland for years now. And the Labor Party just tries to do the same thing and pander to, oh, we're all about coal jobs and all this type of stuff as well. And it's just like, it's two sides of the same coin for Labor and yeah. Liberal for us. Out well, it's here. corporate dollars. That's all they seem to be focused on. Exactly. You know, because. Two factions of the business is, party. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you both those parties get paid from the Minerals Council or from mining companies. So. It's a conflict of interest for them, and I'm just I'm I'm biding my time. I'm just waiting because I know that eventually, um, eventually the word will get out there, and eventually the the politicians can't ignore it forever. So it's it's one of those things that it's a waiting game, I guess. And um, if politicians want to come to the table, if Labor politicians want to come to the table, you know I'm not really a um, not really a political person per se, you know. I I don't really support any group because they've all bipartisan agreed to change the native title. Um, so none of them have my vote. None of them. They're all two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. for me. Um, until they actually actively do something to help protect Aboriginal sacred sites, um, they'll never have my vote. Do you have any good independents out there running, you know, people from your community that would be, you know, potentially a strong independent candidate? Yeah, well, I'm not really aware of um, the too many of the independents 
out here um, where I, I have I, I do know a couple of them have run as independents. It's um, it's just hard for them to get up when they when they're um, fighting against the the two major parties type of thing out in rural areas. Yeah. People are just so they're so conditioned to just vote liberal, and then if things go bad, vote labour. Then if things go bad, vote liberal. Um, you know, <laughs> repeat. It's a perpetual cycle that just that keeps happening, and people don't understand why it's happening. And it's like because this whole political system is designed to run people around in circles while the politicians make all the money. Yeah, yeah, intentionally created that way for sure. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. just hoping with this current election we've got coming up, there's a lot of really, really unhappy people with this, the two-party system and there seems to be some action being taken to try and educate people how to vote more um, effectively to remove the, the two majors and actually get some uh, good independent voices in there. Yeah, well, a hung parliament with a whole lot of independence in the, in the balance of power is probably the best we can hope for, really, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, um, it's it's the major parties that tell people don't vote independent because you're just wasting your vote. <laughs> um, where you know, there's no accountability. There's there's no accountability for politicians when they lie during an election campaign. You know, they they can just completely fabricate things, and um, you know, this it it doesn't nothing happens to them. You know, where people need to be taught that you know we have to vote in independence to be able to destroy this two-party system because the way that it's going, you know, we're just going further and further down into a spiral where this country isn't run like a country, it's run like a business. Mm. It's not supposed to be run like a business because while it's run like a business, we're just selling out all of our resources and selling off all of our country. And um, it's not that anybody feels it right now. It's going to be two, three, four, five generations yeah. down the track that is going to complain that we didn't do anything about it to stop these politicians from doing it. If they're even awake so, enough at that point, you know, we might be so brainwashed by then. I mean, people people have become commodified, not just country, not just um, material yeah. goods, but people as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, everything just becomes um, a dollar value. And if, and if you if you thought, um don't have any sort of equity in dollar value, then discard. Um, if you're in the wealthier society, send it to you. Mm. I know uh, that you've um, travelled quite a bit, Cody. I, I'm actually um, dual Canadian citizen, and I lived 25 years in Canada. And we had a very big issue that's still going on there called the Trans Canada Pipeline, um, which was again um, squashing Indigenous. Um, territory rights and there was a huge pushback from a lot of the indigenous communities and also from people in general and it was so strong the pushback that the company that was funding the pipeline actually pulled out and said to the government look we don't think this is a good bet because there's too much resistance and then what the government did is they went in with taxpayers money and bought the contract from the Texan company so now this Trans-Canada Pipeline is 100% funded by the Canadian Liberal government, by Trudeau. <laughs> yep. So, you know, yep. it's, it's just, they just keep, as you said, they keep changing the rules to make it work for them. So I guess the magic thing that you're trying to find is how do you, and you, I think you found it in some way, how do you create a situation in which their rules can't 
can't impact you or can't control you. Yeah, exactly. You know, like this situation right here is really unique because, I mean, Adani is the richest man in Asia. He's in the top rich list in the world now. Um, and he still can't remove this little broke black fella from sitting in front of his... <laughs> you know, I've, I've put him into an arena where money means nothing. And that's very rare in today's society to be in a situation where money doesn't matter how funny you know, um, They can't use the police because I've already slapped the police with a human rights case once before. So it's... They can't use they can't use them as little attack dogs now. So we're in a different game that we're playing now, and we have to remember that we are living in the colony still. This is still the colony. Canada is still a colony as well, and this is why they have no problems with indigenous indigenous resources. Yeah, it's 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 still like. That, that mentality of, you know, make the world England in some ways, you know, yep. let's just go out there and it's all ours. It's the entitlement. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, the, it's the notion that, you know, um, Captain Cook thought that he claimed the whole of Australia in 1788, but he don't realise that he only just claimed Gadigal country because there was another 368 countries inside of his country. Yeah. <clears throat> Indigenous people didn't even come up to our country until 18th. So how could they say that Australia was taken by the British if we never even settled? Yeah, we just lost you again there, Cody. I think we lost you completely. Can you still hear us? down in, in Aurora country in Sydney, how do they think they had the right to annex every single country within inside of Australia? It's because this notion that government has is that all average people are the same. Well, that... not all the, we're yeah. not all the same. There's, there's 369 different languages yeah. in this country. It's like a mini... It's like a Europe inside of one, one island. And you have to... The Aboriginal people on the west coast of Australia are genetically different as the east coast of Australia as Siberians are to Alaskans. That's how separated we are on one continent. Yeah. So how, how does this government seem to think that they have acquired this whole continent when they didn't make any agreements or any treaties with any tribe, with any nation within this whole country? So this is the... This is the um, the golden question that I keep asking the government is, where is your deeds and titles? How did you legally acquire my property? Because if you cannot provide the evidence that you legally acquired our property, then I'm going to assume that it's mine. Well, we, I think... You come, sorry, yeah? Cody, go ahead. Yeah, until, until they come here with deeds and titles, with proof that they've legally acquired it off my people, 
then I will um, I will gladly concede. But if they cannot provide that evidence, and they just say, "Oh, well, just or it's lost in time," it doesn't matter. It's fifty years ago, still a stolen car. Maybe I'm sorry to make you repeat yourself, but what you were talking about was absolutely fascinating. Just before we uh, lost the signal, would you mind just giving us a, a quick overview of um, maybe the last couple minutes of your conversation there? The basic point that I'm trying to put across to the government is my family wasn't removed in 1788. My my grandfather was removed at gunpoint at seven years old and told to get onto the back of a cattle truck with his with his parents and sent to a place called Sherberg, which is just outside of Kingaroy in Queensland. It's it's literally in Auschwitz, a, a, a concentration camp that they put all the Aboriginal people in. So my grandfather was still living on country before he got forcefully removed and our land annexed in 1916. So we're not talking about 230 years ago. We're talking about the 20th century and the dispossession in the 20th century. So, you know, there's a common theme that happens among police officers and, you know, the government that they believe their own laws they write their own laws and then they believe them. They write their own acts and then they, they abide by their own acts. But um, they totally disregard any sort of legitimacy that that we have over our country. And that even the fact when you put it towards them and say, well, where's the deeds and titles? And they, start, and they just shrug their shoulders and like, well, we just work off acts now. And it's like you cannot ignore the problem. You can't ignore it. Because it's not going to go away. You can't just invade a country and pretend like you are just the ones that live here now and you just say, oh, no, the acts just say that we can be here now and we can enforce the law. And it's like, name one country that has invaded the natural inhabitants that live there and then now they've just completely absorbed in. It doesn't happen. No, I mean, well, maybe 2,000 years ago, you know, we're talking yeah, maybe, maybe Rome invading Britain or something like that, which is the irony of it, right? Yeah. Dis- so, I mean, like, um, all these countries have been invaded. Like, everyone says, oh, you know, well, England got invaded by the Romans. Yeah, but the Romans left. Um, you know, um, America has been invaded for 400 years, and the American Indians still refuse to lay down and die. The same as in Canada the Canadian Indians up there, they refuse to die as well. So this this common theme that happens throughout colonial countries is they seem to have the same mentality that, well, it's ours now, so it's ours. Um, but they don't realise that they have this sneaky little bindi stuck in their foot that keeps stinging them every time they try and walk and, you know, reminding them, constantly reminding them that, hey, we were here first can't take our resources and you know it's it's uh, a common theme across all these all these colonized countries that has the same mentality well you basically, so yeah you've got a big bully that's just you know has managed to be successful with the bullying strategy for you know centuries yeah. and yep. it's only now that maybe they're you know they're they're being impeded by what you're doing. You know they're not gonna, yeah. they're not going to stop, and you know that they won't stop until oh, you you find a way not. to stop them. It's they're Definitely not going to get not, it, they're yeah. not going to grow a conscience. 
Yep. So the the difference that we have now compared to when they first got here is now people are starting to wake up and realize that Aboriginal people are not exclusive. We welcome everybody in to our tribe. Let's just say the first year and didn't imply, they didn't try to um, put British law into the country. If they just came here and seek, seek refuge here, they would have been absorbed into the Gadigal tribe and then they would have been initiated and they would have been married off and or would have gotten a, a tribal wife or something like that. There's multiple accounts of people being shipwrecked off the coast and being absorbed into the tribe. So that right there is a perfect example of Aboriginal groups being um, inclusive. We're, we're, we're not an exclusive tribe. We're, we're open to anybody that wants to come and learn. So the thing is, the table is starting to turn now because a lot of a lot of Australians are starting to understand that we're waiting for them to come. We're waiting for them to come so we can give them knowledge. We're not trying to take anything away from the Australian public. We're trying to give them 80,000 years of knowledge. And the thing is, they have more in common. Everyday Australians have more in common with us than they do with with the Queen of England. <laughs> you know, there, there is no connection between what people have here and their feeling here to anything in England. If they're born here and they're raised here, this is their home, then they're more of a part of our Aboriginal law than they are with any sort of Westminster system or with England. And the sooner that people in this country realise that, the sooner they're going to help Aboriginal people fight back the government to stop them stealing all of our resources. Because well, that's, this is what's happening. That's probably what will make the difference is when, you know, everybody can stand behind this. You know, you, yep. they, they can't control every single person, right? Like they, they can only um, manipulate us into behaving and thinking certain ways which support their agenda. So if you get enough people doing, you know, doing what you're doing, waking people up, <laughs> educating people, um, you know, getting people to take a stance, getting people to, um, you know, use whatever influence they have, whether that's um, supporting it, you know, through donations for what you're doing, through voting, um, whatever they can do to, um, you know, just yeah. ch ch change the status quo. Like one of the things I was really impressed when I was reading about um, what's happening where you are is that you've created a flag because you said they had a really hard time separating, um, you know, all, all the different tribes on country. Um, yep. And you've created a flag to differentiate the area that you're in, right? Yeah, exactly. So our, our flag has... Um an emu footprint on there, which signifies our law, the emu law. So that that law, L-O-R-E law, runs all through central Queensland here, the, the, the emu. So you can't eat the emu until you've been initiated. And we've also got an eel on there that um, signifies the Wakilbara clan, which is um, a really big clan from around this area. And then we've got the Beliando that goes through the middle of it. And we've got the, the blue and the yellow representing the sand and water. So what this does is it individualizes us from um, every other tribe in the country because um, we're, we're signifying that we are separate from, we are a separate country. And it really scares the government when they see this flag and they have no choice but to respect it because it's our, it's our national flag. And... So what happens is um, 
you know, the, the, the police are completely respectful. They will never touch our flag. Um, they know that, you know, that's, that's our national flag. We're, we're the first tribe in the whole of Australia to fly our flag on a um, town hall in Claremont, right next to the mayor while the mayor's um, raising the Australian flag. We're raising our flag up on the flagpole right next to it. And because I, I asked the mayor, I said, hey, can we fly our flag instead of the Aboriginal flag? And the Claremont mayor said, you fly whatever flag you want. It's your land. Yeah, so, so the local councils come on side. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So um, a few years back, the, the council did a vote of no confidence in Adani because they promised to, um, to seal all the roads um, coming out here because they've been using them. So they've had to pay for them, but they've literally just been bogging the job up. And so the council had a vote of no confidence, and ever since then they've contacted us and wanted us to do um, to do things in the town. So um, I probably ground in the town, and it's just on your right hand side, just as you come into Claremont. Probably the only crawling ground in it out in the whole of Queensland, and this. Um, non-WA people that came there and all the councillors and then all the schools. So uh, building the base around me through the state, uh, through the local government. And so once I have, now that I've got the support of the local government, it's so much harder for the state government to do something and it's so much harder for the federal government to do something. Breaking up again. Um, nah. It was probably good for the longest period we've had, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we did a good stint yeah. there. So, <laughs> but I imagine as soon as the wind blows up there, that's what's happening, right? Yeah. How are we going now? That's good. Well, yeah, that's that good. sounded better. Yep. Cool. So, yeah, we've, um, we've um, built this relationship with so and the local council, you know, they've put up signs for the Crobbery Ground, like Watermulli, welcome to Wangan Ceremonial Ground. Um, we're going to help them design the, the Welcome to Claremont big signage as it comes into Claremont. So even though we don't have native title anymore, we've forcefully asserting ourselves, um, we've given ourselves uh, the title that we didn't, to beg government for for native title, and um, so this is this is a route that not many people have done before. You know, there, there's not many people in this country that has um, state recognition of individual family groups. The only the only other people that I can probably think of is probably Eddie Mabo. He's the only one that had like this individual family recognition type of thing. So. Uh, it makes it just makes it a, a harder a harder fight for Adani because now because the government doesn't want to do anything 
it's up to him to take me to court. But the problem is if they take me to court, they can't prove whose land it is. Hmm. So then they can't trespass me. So if you trespass, then they'll throw that at the courts. They'll never be able to get rid of me here. Hmm. So I believe so, that's, a, that's an Adani strategy, like some of the people that were protesting against the, the mine, like in the um, traditional protest camp up there. I believe they actually targeted the, the key protest leaders and financially ruined them. Like they put- yeah, well, see, the good thing about our family is um, me and my dad have lived our lives with the notion of if you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we don't have – we don't own anything. Like my dad got um, $670,000 lawyers cost from Adani's lawyers that he had to pay. So he did a full audit on our whole family. Every single one of our family trying to find money because somebody in the group is getting paid off by a donny the liquidators that my dad got $600,000 from the green. It means only get $600,000 throughout the whole party for a whole year. $600,000 and where is that money? There should be a money trail somewhere. There wasn't. They, the liquidators went through everything um, all bank accounts, my family and everything, and they with with egg on their face because we don't own anything. We yeah. don't own houses. All my old man has a dollar dodgy nuisance patrol, yeah. and they're just they can't wrap their heads around it because they're asking, "How are you? What are you doing this? Why are you inputting so much time and energy into the life and not getting any sort of beneficial?" Um, um, pay off for it, you know what I mean? Uh, because they don't understand about principles. They don't understand about lived our whole life fighting for land rights and they think that a mining companies just going to come and trust the to get land. It's like, for us in the first place, why are they asking us to dig it up? Asking us for an Indigenous land use agreement if it's not our property. So we've, we've always we've always been against um, you know structure of country. So this is just a flaw of you know the last thirty six years that my old man's been going to rally and um, speaking at rallies about land rights. So it's nothing new for us. And you know Adani's lawyers walked away with the egg in their face, and they got nothing out of my old man. $670,000 in lawyer's cost, and they retrieved nothing. Yeah. <laughs> now, that, um, you, it's three years for the bankruptcy to to, to be over. August this year, to be bankruptcy. So he went three years in bankruptcy, and they've gotten nothing out of it, and we're still here, still fighting, just to shove it in their face and just say, well, you tried to financially ruin us. We're still going to be here. I mean, that, so that's your like, strength, right? Because, you know, they don't understand the way that you think because, you know, their thinking is so mercenary. Um, you know, this, this, yeah. this, is, this is, I think, ultimately what will be their undoing. Yep, exactly. You know, it's, they, they follow the same game plans and they've always followed the same game plans. And because they're stupid and they, this government always follows the same game plans, what makes it easy is you can figure out a plan around that. And so these things that we've done here 
has been those plans to get around what the government usually does. So, you know, in regards to Watanungu with the with the circle that we have here, we created it with with the idea of one Wanganjagalingu person inside the circle at all times, plus a fire is always going inside that circle and there's no foreign objects inside the circle. These are three things that everybody that comes to this camp all adheres to these these three rules. These were specifically set up for for the event of police coming up to remove us from the circle. Because one, they would remove the WNJ person out of the circle. Two, the fire will go out. And three, they're not going to take their shoes and guns off to walk inside the circle. So they've broken three of our laws that everybody has adhered to since we've been here. So it's um it's 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 something that's never been done before, but it's also a way of showing the police and the government that we'll find a way around your laws and use your laws against you. Mm. Now, is, um, is there a way for you to do what you've done here and get other groups that are fighting, uh, you know, other projects like, you know, similar to Adani, like the Menindi Lakes situation, that sort of thing? Have they have they tried your approach or will, will they be looking at trying your approach? Yeah, well, um, I, I, I strongly encourage it. You know, there's the, the Gomorrah people down in um, the Pilliga where they're trying to – Santos is trying to do the, the fracking down there. And, um, you know, I've – I've we're, we're like family friends with, um, you know, then Stauntrons like Bo Spearham and, and those guys. And it's always like a healthy competition in between us to see who's going to top each other with um, – what, who's who's going to be more stauncher? <laughs> so, since we've done this, the pressure is on them now to do something better, which, which is good. So I'm I'm keen to see what they do. Um, and you know it's 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 inspiring other tribes all around the country. You know the the Cubby people stood up. Um, the Yogara people are standing up over at Deebing Creek. Um, the uh, people in Stradbroke Island, they're standing up as well. People over in the Burrup, over in Western Australia. So these little spot fires are just starting all over the country. And what what this government doesn't realise is we're smarter now than what we've ever been because we've figured out how the system works. And, you know, we've cut down 44 insurance companies from Adani ever being insured. And that means that 44 companies will never insure a coal mine ever again. And then we've got like a hundred, what is that? A hundred and 110 companies then like insurance, uh, finances and other contractors that will never, um, service a coal mine ever again. And that's just from, um, one campaign of the top Adani campaign and market forces trying to stop this one mine. So this flaw effect that's happening and then, you know, when I talk to other mobs, I say, find out who their insurers are, find out who their financiers are. And the problem that companies don't realise is they've all signed on for a thing called the equator principles. And the equator principles came into effect in 2020, I think it was. And so in that, it's stopped mining companies such as an example like uh, in, in the rainforests in Amazon's 
they're, they're pushing tribes for um, for mining and then land clearing. So if there's tribes that are known as consensus, these companies, the finance and insurance are supposed to pull out of these companies. So hearing all of this, the Hmm. So we got um, a situation too, like, you know, with Bolsonaro and, and the situation in the Amazon with a lot of the tribes there who are defending, you know, they were getting wins in court, which was amazing to see. But then being the little tyrant that he is, he just went in yep. with, you know, like through the back door and was, you know, actually murdering people. Just grabbed the land. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, he actually murdered tribal members to... Um, prevent them from continuing their action so you know it, it's like you can see how desperate they get right this is it, they, yep. like you said they keep changing the rules so are, are you prepared for their comeback on what you're doing now so um, what have you, what have you noticed the tactics because obviously they're going to change tactics because i found that what they've been traditionally doing isn't going to work anymore i can't imagine no. they're going to give up no they're not going to give up but the thing is you always have to be one or two steps ahead of them so um to, to beat them or to at least remain and stand your ground. Um, you know, just for instance, like a translator has a translator. You know, it's Australian law. If someone requires a translator, then they need to get a translator. It doesn't matter whether they can find one or not. Um, so because I speak my own language, witty language, I'm entitled to a translator. And like anybody else is in this country. So this is this is one little um, roadblock that they're coming towards that they can never talk to me about Watanungu unless they come with a ready translator. I love that. And they can't get one because I'm the last remaining speaker. <laughs> I think and that then, is the best defence I've ever heard, Cody. Like, <laughs> Scotty and I just love that. You should see the grins on our faces when you told us that. Yeah, it's um, it's just it's little little things like that. You know what I mean? That um, that Aboriginal people in this country don't realise that. Go and learn your language and don't even speak to the police in English. Only speak in your language and then they're going to have to try and find a translator. So that makes life very difficult for the police because they can't enact laws and acts. Um, so it's, you know, these little little things that I'm trying to, you know, um, educate other tribes to to do. And it's just... I see the fruits of it, and um, it just it, it, it motivates me to keep going because I know that more tribes are becoming motivated to, to stand up and do something. So whether I whether I actually end up kicking this guy out or not, the fact that I'm starting spot fires all over this country is just as good of a win, I think. Uh, you know, it's it's this has been the biggest campaign in Australian history. Um, and it's too big to walk away from. It's too big to to admit defeat because you only lose when you quit. You, you only you've only lost when you give up and you walk away from it. Well, that yeah, and there are wins in the past, like the Franklin Dam and the the yep. Jabaluka Mine and that sort yep. of thing. And, and so you know we've had heaps of wins um, in regards to. Say the Queensland Police now acknowledges that non-Indigenous people can come to a ceremony, and they're covered under human rights to come and be a party to a ceremony. Um, that's never been acknowledged before, 
but the Queensland Police has now acknowledged that. So what's happening is it's a, it's a turn of the tide and things are changing because now in, non-Indigenous people have the right to back Indigenous people. Um, so, you know, just little wins like that, like just um, is going to forge the way for the new resistance of when it just keeps evolving and it keeps evolving. You know, our resistance when it first started here was, you know, the, the frontier wars and it was a resistance of, you know, um, of our people just damaging infrastructure and things like that to try and get them to leave. Now it's now it's a different ball game where, you know, we hit the financiers and insurers, and you know my dad went all around the world to to all of these banks to get them to pull out. As soon as he walked into that door and told them not to fund it, every single bank that he walked out of all pulled out, and he went all around the world and went to probably like ten, twelve different banks, and they 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 all pulled out. So it's they, mining companies aren't prepared for, for the type of onslaught that we do because um, we're the type of people that won't lay down and die. My grandfather was called Breakaway Ernest because he kept running away from the Sherberg mission. <laughs> and if you run away, your family would have your rations taken from you so, and he would be put into isolation um, prisoners, prisoners in a place where they did no wrong. They had, they're, prisoners in your crime, own prisoners in your own country. Yep, their only crime was being Aboriginal. That was the only crime. And so he actually walked on foot from um, Kingaroy to a place called Miles, which is hundreds of kilometres away, and he ended up being being caught by um, black trackers. And so, uh, paperwork from him from you know, years and years, because he knew how to read and write. So he would write to the chief protector of Aborigines, um, trying to make all these different excuses up to get their, get his family out of Joburg. So it's, um, we've always been anti-authoritarian in, um, in our family. And my father learnt it from his father. And, you know, I'm just, I'm lucky because I've had the internet to be able to get the information that I've needed and social media, you know, so we, we live in a different, different age than even my grandfather was going through to try and, uh, you know, fight for, fight for rights. Mm. So it's, um, it's a long road and I'm pretty sure, you know, my family will continue this on even after I'm, um, gone, I think. And all those little fires that you've lit, they'll continue to... Look, I'm just thinking, Cody, you, you're such a fabulous thorn in their side. You're basically encouraging a lot of other people to become Cody. You know, there's going to be a lot of little Codys all over the country doing just what you're yeah. doing and more. And if they think you're a pain in the backside, just wait till there's 20 of you, 30 of you, 50 yeah. of you, you know? Exactly, you know, and that's, that's the real main goal here because I'm only just one person, but if we can make heaps of people that do the same thing as what I'm doing... It's going to make the government's life hell. And um, just just inspiring people by not even doing anything to this mind, you know what I mean, by just sitting here um, inspires people because I can literally be Julian Assange out here and I'm on the freest place in the whole continent. Like 
this place is so free to us. And it, and you only realize it when you actually come out and you sit out here and you realize that this is the most freest place ever. The police don't come over to the back where our camp is. They When they turn up, they turn up right underneath our flag at the front. We've got a big flag flying. And they stand there and they wait for us to come down. They don't ever walk in because they understand the protocols that we have. So it's... Um, and I'm hoping there's a, a few good good cops still that genuinely respect what you're doing. Oh, of course. You know, like um, I, I have a really good relationship with the with the Queensland police now, um, especially with the Claremont police. They've um, it's they've had to be schooled, if you know what I mean. Like they've had to have their their hands slapped, and they've had to be schooled, and now they are fine. Like they they're really reciprocal. Like they they come out and you know uh, everything okay. You know you don't have any problems or anything. Um, but that's the relationship that I've had to I've had to forge my way through. You know I didn't um, I didn't just automatically get this type of treatment it took years of um you know um education and educating them to get to get to the point where we are now and every time every new police officer that comes out here he comes out they come out with the chief of police it's like a training program for them that they bring their new officers out here and they introduce them to me and then um you know they they understand then and they start to the chief of police trains them to be empathetic you know trains them to understand what we're doing so it's um it's great steps that's happening and you know i i just think you know this is such a small scale type of thing if it starts to happen across the country then um, we might actually see some real change in this country, I think. Yeah, no, I, I, I really believe so. I mean, the last two years have been so divisive on so many levels. And one of the things we keep hearing back is there's a lot of members of the police force that don't agree with how they've been asked to conduct themselves towards members of the public. You know, they're put in a situation where you know, they're wearing a badge, they have to do this or they're not going to have a job. But there's, you know, there's even police walking away from situations like where they were asked to fire on the public in Melbourne at the shrine. There was a lot of situations going on. And regardless of where you stand on, you know, the protesters in the um, situation in Melbourne during lockdown, a lot of the police were really, really unhappy about how they were asked to conduct themselves. So, you know, I think there's there's a moral compass happening, even within, as you said, your attack dogs, your enforcers, there's people within those groups that are saying, look, this isn't right. We would prefer to stand with Cody, you know. there's, And, and I think that's probably yeah. the next thing we could talk to you about before we run out of time is that you mentioned that non-Indigenous people are also encouraged to support what you're doing. So if people do want to support you um what what should they do what's what's the best course of action they can take to to um, you know, uh, you know, like, answer the call to action yeah you know um where we are in this position right now it's it's not so much a a battle of needing people power because i mean we've been here with just two of us and um at the moment there's probably about uh six or eight of us um just family and stuff um but I think, you know, the main the main thing is basically just talking to friends and family and, you know, just getting it out there that um, these things are happening. And not only just happening to, to our mob, it's happening all over the country. And, you know, um, it's, you know, f- liking and subscribing on our 
on our social medias on on uh, Wang and Jagalingu standing our ground on Facebook. Um, it's if you want to chuck us a couple of bucks, we have a, a donate page on the Wang and Jagalingu standing our ground website. If you would like to help us out there, that help us out with food and fuel and stuff. But also the main thing is, um, if you feel strongly that you want to help and you want to help change this country. Find the closest tribe to your town and where you're living that's standing up and is trying to fight back. And go and talk to them and sit down with them and ask them how you can help them because you're you're so close to them, you know what I mean? Like it's a it's the closest tribe. For many people, this this area is so secluded and it takes them two, three days just to get here. Um And you don't where, want to be inundated with lots of people too. That sort of defeats your purpose, right? Yeah, well I mean at, at at the start, we had about 30 to 40 people here, and it, it gets a little bit overwhelming because I'm like the, the tour guide plus um, having to talk to the police and all that type of stuff. So it's it gets a little bit overwhelming, but at the same time, I signed up for it, and I enjoy um, I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy being like a, a, a tour guide type of thing. You know, I used to be a busker down down the Gold Coast playing didgeridoo, so I'm, I'm used to talking to people, used to talking to crowds, so... Um, but you know, the main thing is just really getting in contact with any local tribes that are, that, that are fighting and help them any way that you can help them. If they, if they're going to stand up and do a camp like this, help them by bringing some tents or bringing some food or, you know, just asking them what they need, um, is really what's going to make a change around the country. That's, that's going to be the biggest change is if the general population helps the individual tribes around the country. And, um, you know, that's that's so powerful. That's so powerful that, you know, anybody can get behind. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't, doesn't matter who you are. If you call yourself Australian and you want to protect your backyard, then that's how you do it. You, you find your local tribe that's that's fighting back. And the government pays attention when they see a large group of people supporting a cause, they they do pay attention. Oh, for sure, you know, um, and that's why I think a big part of it is they're very cautious about um, what they do out here as well, because they know that one photo can turn this into standing rock. Hmm. You know, and I, I've said that to the police once before. I said, be careful of what you do, because one photo will turn this into standing rock. And they said, yes, we know. Hmm. So it's... It's only like so keeping a social media presence um, for tribes and stuff like that. You know, like once I'm finished with here, my my mission isn't over. I'm gonna go to another tribe and help them, and then I'll go to another tribe and help them, and just teach them the skills that I've learned over the years to help them fight back as well. And um, because what's the point of me winning and then every other tribe is is still trying to fight and they'll they're losing as well because the government won't just turn on their belly and just be like, okay, you can have everything now. No. And it's still going to come. We might be a long way from, from electing decent people to the government that will truly listen. Yeah. But like you said, so, you know, it's the earnest method. Educate yourself, right? Yep, that's it. You know, education is the key. Um, educating on how to work your way around this system is um, is the strongest thing that you can use because we have to realise that police only operate under legislation and acts. So if you find legislation and acts that either supersede those acts um, or 
or they interfere with those acts, then, you know, um, they get confused. And when in doubt, they walk away because they, they're not lawyers. They, they're just law enforcement. So education is the key. Um, educating the mobs, educating um, non, non-tribal people to, um, you know, be able to offer their assistance to, to other tribes around the country is probably going to be and, and will have the greatest effect. Fantastic. Yeah, yes. So, I mean, all around Australia, then, um, yeah, there's, there's a possibility that our phone will conk out before the next seven minutes is over. <laughs> uh, uh, and I guess, yeah, if that does happen, then uh, we'll, we'll thank you very much for uh, joining us. Um, yeah, no worries. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, you guys have been standing up for, for the world, essentially, by fighting this ridiculous mine that's... I mean, the amount of carbon emissions that are going to come out of this mine is, is basically going to tip things over the edge if they all if it all got dug out and burnt. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's basically, it's basically they're going to be producing as much carbon as what Australia is supposed to reduce. Yeah, that's right. Emissions, you know, um, and it just so happens that you know, um, BlackRock is the major funder for, for this for this company. And you'll find everywhere, like the DAPL over in Canada, um, uh, sorry, in America, and the, the other pipeline that's trying to go through Wet'suwet'en at the moment, um, Gomoroi people, they're all, all of these companies are all financed by BlackRock. Yeah, it's, it's um, BlackRock and Vanguard are the two, right? Like the, yeah. everything goes yep. back to them. If you follow yep. it, so the whole the world media is, goes back to them. They all own all the yep. media as well. So we're starting to realise that the whole world is run by BlackRock and Vanguard. So the, the problem is they've picked a fight with the wrong blackfellow. Now I'm just I'm coming after them, and you know even if I have to go on a billboard straight outside their their office, you know what I mean? Like I will be in their face until they drop this um, drop this mine. They'll never. They've never been met with a formidable opponent such as me that will completely shame them out until they until they just cut ties. They're they're already close. They're right on the on that tipping point of just cut ties with the whole Adani group. I just need to push them over the over the edge that little bit more. Yeah. So it's um it's uh, I, I love it though, you know, I love fighting the big um Biggest finance here in the world, and I'm fighting the richest in Asia. <laughs> you know, like it just—it's it, the epitome of a David and Goliath fight. And we know who won that one too, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so I look from that nice little pebble to sling off. You're like um, the world's most annoying bindi, Cody. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I call myself the Joker of Queensland, but the, the, good, the good guy. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, I find pleasure in, in doing this. You know, I, I don't care about the money. I've been a barker my whole life, so I've been able to make money ever since I was 10 years old. Did you do? But money means nothing to me. Whenever I needed money, i just go out in the street and make $50, and then I've got enough to, to eat and for some fuel, you know. So 
And that's the part because they can't control that part of you. That's that's yeah. That this is this is where the people actually get the power when you step outside of the the construct of the system. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've been living outside the construct because I've been a busker Mm -hmm. and I haven't had to pay tax. You know, and there's two things they say in life that you can't avoid: death and tax. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been avoiding both of them so far, pretty good. (laughs) But, But yeah, you know, like I'm just. I'm um I'm glad to be doing something like this and I think this is what I'm supposed to do because I've been my father has been training me for for this type of situation since I was little. Um I've learned of all all of these great leaders like Michael Anderson and um you know um Robbie Thorpe and um all, all of these leaders that have come up throughout the the ages I've I've studied them. I've studied them and I've fig- I've figured out what works and what doesn't work and I've applied it into my own strategies that I've heard. Mm-hmm. I teach other people of, of the way that I've done it, I guess, and just it's a flow. All right. Looks like we're losing your uh, connection again, but there's only a couple of minutes left, so we'll just thank you very much for coming on and uh, wish you all the best. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, it was a pleasure having a bit of a yarn with you today. Hopefully I um, informed you a little bit more about what's going on. Absolutely. And, um, Wonderful. And yeah. folks can definitely go and check out your social media, the Wangan and Jagalingu Facebook page and other social media if they had trouble catching all of the conversation that we were having this morning. Yeah, sure. We've, we've got heaps of content on. I've got heaps of live videos that explain a lot of stuff. Fantastic. People are, uh, yeah. Okay, right. fantastic. Cheers, mate. Thanks for that. All yeah. Okay, And that was Cody McAvoy from the Wangan and Jagalingu country um, talking to us about the wonderful action they're taking against the Adani Carmichael mine. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA and radio behind the lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at BehindTheLines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A dot org dot A-U or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy.
Find out what we're up to at cocambra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new, appropriate economy. Thanks.